Welcome to the Failsafe. A podcast about writing and failure. On this episode of The Failsafe, I talk with Lauren Haldeman at the Iowa Writer's House. Lauren Haldeman is the author of Instead of Dying, winner of the 2017 Colorado Prize for Poetry, Calendar, and the chat book The Eccentricity is Zero. Her work has appeared or is forthcoming in Tin House, The Colorado Review, Fence, The Iowa Review, and The Rumpus. A comic book artist and poet, she has taught in the U.S. as well as internationally, including a reading and lecture tour of South Africa sponsored by the U.S. Department of State. She has been a recipient of the 2015 Sustainable Arts Foundation Award, the Colorado Prize for Poetry, and fellowships from the Iowa Writers' Workshop. The Failsafe is produced by Draft, the Journal of Process, and the Iowa Writers' House. Draft publishes first and final drafts of stories, essays, and poems, along with author interviews about the creative process. Find them online at draftjournal.com. The Iowa Writers' House is a community literary organization that provides education, resources, and opportunities to writers, extending the Iowa literary legacy to all. The house offers workshops, residencies, as well as literary-themed rooms in a bookish boutique B&B. Listeners of The Failsafe are invited to stay where the authors stay and receive a 10% discount on their visits to the City of Literature. Find them online at iowawritershouse.com. Last but not least, special thanks to the Iowa Arts Council for their support, which helps make this podcast possible. Coming up, why writing terrible poems is important, the relationship between failure and humor, a truly insightful and inspiring discussion of grief, and find out what Lauren means when she says she is on the opposite of drugs. All this and more right now. I'm Rachel Yoder, and this is The Failsafe. Then I also just like twirl into like an existential. Oh, yeah moment of dread because of global warming we're all gonna die anyway hi lauren hi good morning morning to you thanks for being on the fail safe you're yeah thanks for having me you're Uh, welcome for having me (laughs) what am i saying you're welcome As I tell my toddler, just say you're welcome. Yeah. Um, so you had a you had a big launch reading last night at Prairie Lights, right? Yeah, it was it was fun. There were people from all uh, time periods of my life here in Iowa City. There, yeah. Um, like a boss that I had like 16 years ago came, and I didn't recognize him at first, and also you know, very new undergraduate writers that I met last week so and how long have you been in Iowa City um 20 years I think now so I came here in 97 because um right out of high school yeah I had heard about the workshop and I came from outside DC so Virginia area and I'd asked my like counselors and people like where's the best school to go for writing and it's so weird. There's like blinders on on the East Coast where they were like, oh, we'll go to New York or go to like Syracuse. Really? Yeah. And I was actually enrolled in Syracuse. I had a roommate there. I had classes picked out. Well, and you would. I mean, George Saunders. I know. I didn't know him yet. I yeah, hadn't read like, him yet. You're like, who's that guy? But I was like, oh, their colors are orange. I really like orange. And, 
you know i love the like the the choosing process of like an 18 year old i was like i want to go to georgetown because they have a really good basketball team right and oh my god that dog is so cute with its collar i love hoyas <laughs> yeah exactly that's how i decide i mean it's still like there like colors make up yeah most of my decision process. it's a pretty color i'm manipulatable <laughs> but yeah so but uh I changed my mind. I got into this weird car crash on the way up Ooh. to uh, go for like our second visit. And I was like, hmm, maybe that's a sign. And I had heard about the University of Iowa. And so I thought, let's check it out. Had thought, you already applied? No. So I had applied late. I got a really late uh, acceptance. I was in like temporary housing for 12 weeks here. Oh, wow. But, weird. But as soon as I landed here, I was like, whoa. This is, I mean, I hadn't ever seen a, been in a town like this before or an environment where writing was taken so seriously. I'd also never lived in a place where you like walk to a grocery store or, you know, the person, you know, selling your books, you know, yeah. the person like who makes your coffee, you know, I mean, yeah. I really liked the idea of this like community structure, this walkability and also like people are writing here everywhere you go they're writing so did you know you wanted to be a writer when you were 17 or 18 I mean, pretty much yeah. really yeah did you write poetry in high school I did but I also wanted to write fiction and so when I got here I was trying fiction and my first teacher pulled me aside and was like I think you're actually writing poetry <laughs> like it was a whisper like it was like a it was like it's like I'm, a shameful I'm so secret sorry. yeah I'm so sorry to to tell you this like a doctor pulling you aside but you're a you're a poet you I'm the, sorry the test but I'm back you have a case of poetry <laughs> yeah and I was like okay I'll deal with this my own way so so did you keep trying to write stories then or were you like what what does that mean when a writing teacher comes to you and says I think you're writing poetry I mean what did your stories look like so I would write a story where there were two characters, but there were like three pages of me describing how like leaves turn into mulch. <laughs> so there was no, like the characters were there like on a bridge and maybe one of them had dropped. I mean, this is a real story. I can send it to you afterwards. One of them had dropped a piece it. of paper in a creek. I don't think you're going to want to read it. And then there are three pages of me describing how the leaves behind them are turning into mulch over time. And I think that's what signaled to this guy that I might be writing poetry instead of fiction. So there are maybe a few fiction writers who could pull that off, but no. I mean, I so, think after page one of the mulch, you're like, <laughs> like okay. we're done with mulch now. I am done. What's happening with these two characters? I like forgot about them. You forgot about the characters because you got too involved with the mulch. I was obsessed with like the layers of mulch and like. I love it. Yeah. I love it. So so then was it sort of a natural transition into poetry or did you feel like, well, I should be writing stories or? I was all, I mean, I was writing poetry yeah. along. So I just enrolled then in poetry classes. And my first course as an undergrad was with Robin Schiff when mm. she was a grad student here. So another like amazing thing about being in Iowa City is my teachers as an undergrad were grad students at the Writers' Workshop. So I had like Dan Beachy Quick and Spencer Short and Ben Doyle and Wow and Robin and so I had these young writers who were also figuring out their work teaching me. 
and then and so that and you could see the step one step ahead you know you could see these are real people in a real program i mean you met them talking yeah yeah it was that was also hugely you know transformative for me yeah okay so you have these amazing emerging poets as your teachers when you're an undergrad when as you're a fledgling poet so you live in iowa city for 20 years you go to the workshop your friends are poets there so how has your concept of what it means to fail or succeed as a poet been shaped living in iowa city which is really a unique place to be right for 20 years to try and be a poet for 20 years right how do you think that's influenced sort of how you think about what it means to fail or succeed as a poet or or even you know if you want to first answer what does it mean to fail or succeed as a poet that would be really interesting to me because i know when i was in grad school one of our poet one of my poet friends was like, oh, you fiction people, you're concerned about your book deals yeah. and you're turning your novel into a movie and money. Yeah. And they're like, he's like, I just know, like, I'm never going to have any of that. I'm right. a poet. Yeah. So I I know that he had to, he was defining it in a different way. So I wonder what that definition is for you. I mean, I still don't know what the definition of success <laughs> or failure is for myself. And I have to stop myself daily and be like, what, what is it you want? Mm. You know, because I, I, I know how to work hard and I know how to, I'm learning how to manage my time and be productive. I also know how to write hard and write a lot and edit. And I've learned all these things over 20 years. I mean, failing and succeeding and writing terrible poems, you know, I mean, I think it's as important to write as many terrible poems as you can, because at some point you're going to have a good poem come out of that. I mean, if you just keep going and keep going and failing at form and failing at publishing and failing at uh, your your workshop, you know, I'm, all of that seemed like a way to like create that mulch that <laughs> then, you know, grew a couple of like little dinky flowers or whatever. <laughs> or like rather successful flowers. Yeah, like the kind of flowers that like, yeah, that, I don't know. I mean, I think mo- I think when I think of, I, I was like, oh, Lauren's a successful poet. I mean, you have two books. Yeah, so, so, your yeah, your so r- most recent book won right. an award. But we're human, right? We always want the next thing, and I'm constantly keeping myself in check. Like I have to check with myself each morning and be like, because I'm, I, you immediately forget what you got. Yeah, you know, and that. And then you feel like a failure. You're like, oh, well, these people, well, the next step is, and so I have to continually remind myself, like, no, these are goals you've met, and these are goals that you have achieved, so, like, quit being a big baby about, you know, (laughs) like, and also, like, give yourself a break once in a while. Yeah. You know, my work ethic is almost like an addiction, and and I'll wear myself out, um... And, I'll, and I'm constantly pushing myself for the next thing. But I have to stop and be like, wait, what creates happiness in your life? Is it success or is it like hot chocolate? And, <laughs> you know, like a, 
a blanket. Yeah, and like a job well done. A job you know, well like done. three hours of good work. Woods. Yeah, you know. That is such a good point that it, it we just like forget immediately yeah. as soon as we like get the thing, as soon as we win the prize yeah. and have the book, it can be forgotten so quickly. Right. And I think if you are wanting to make this a lifetime of work, like a lifetime endeavor, this writing thing, yeah. um, I know like as I'm nearing 40, that's the question I keep asking myself is, okay, well, how, why is this meaningful to me? Why am I doing this? It can't be because of a book or like an award. Right. Because I will simply forget it. Yeah, it's gotta be, for me, it's like, is this process of writing still pleasurable? Is it still like healing? Is it still a, a, a part of your life that brings joy? And if that's in place, then that's, a, that's the most important thing. I mean, for me, oh, but this is also saying I come from a, a place of privilege where I already have a job. Yeah. You know, I have a full-time job making websites, which is not at all the literary world. I mean, it is because code is like a form of writing. And it's creative. That's a whole other, yeah. yeah, it's creative. But um, so I don't need to, to, to get those awards and get those publications to be able to get a faculty position. Right. Um, And I knew very very early on I didn't want a faculty position because I'm extremely uh I'm ill suited to be an authority figure in front of a group of people so I'm not oh my gosh I totally relate right? well I mean having a baby actually changed that a little bit yeah now I have she's forced me to learn how to say no but yeah but teaching makes me so anxious uh unless it's one-on-one -on -one. and so I realized early on that I probably didn't want to go down the route of teaching um, but I did want to still create in my, you know, monetary job. And so the websites are really nice. Mm -hmm. um, also, it's like immediate feedback. So, yeah, yeah. Like instant gratification, unless you run into a problem and then it isn't. But uh, but so in terms of like the idea of being successful as a writer, I don't know what that is for me anymore. But I do know that I constantly feel like a failure. <laughs> but you're still doing it. So, I mean, yeah. you you had mentioned, you know, that it has to be a source of happiness right. or a source of healing. Right. Um, and it has to be generating something good rather than like adding to the sense of failure. Right. So it must be doing that even. It does in cycles. I mean, yeah. there's sometimes where I sit down to write and I'm, I feel physically in pain. And sometimes I push through that because that's a signal to me that there's something that need, needs to be worked with. And other times I just put down the pen and I'm like, no, I'm going to go you know, lay in bed for yeah. the two hours or take a walk or do something else. Um, but uh, other times the writing, even though it's painful, by the time I'm done with it, it's like vomiting. Like I've gotten something out. I've moved through something and I can feel that space in my body. That's, yeah. That that thing isn't there before that kind of like, not darkness, but like a, just a heaviness. So. Yeah, something to be dealt with. There's like something yeah. that needs to be dealt with. So you had mentioned to the concept of, you know, failed poems. Yes. You're the first poet that I've talked with oh, for cool. this podcast. Um, so can you, first of all, do you still have failed poems or do you just keep working them until they work in some way? And also what, for our listeners out there who yes. might write prose, um, what makes a poem fail or how do you know that it's failed and you can't 
do anything more with it or it can't be salvaged. I mean, I don't know if I ever know. I think a lot of uh, you need feedback too. Uh, a lot of the poems that I wrote in Instead of Dying and Calendé, I thought were failures. They were sort of written without an audience in mind. Mm. And then I had a few f- friends read them and be like, no, these aren't. And that was, I don't have that perspective because to me it just... I think I still have a version of what poetry is in my mind as like Keats, you know, or like Gerald Manley Hopkins, like form and this, you know, intense and layered language. And I I had been writing poetry for so long like that, that when I started writing these like poems that were more in my voice and more honest and very just kind of like raw and open, they yeah. felt like failures. Because oh, wow. they didn't look like what I consider poetry. It turns out that people want to read those rather than my like fake Keats Sestina. Yeah, you know? like what you thought poetry should be. Right. Yeah. And, and so that that flipped failure on its head because to me those were successful poems. Wow. And, and now I realize that there was something there that needed to be done, but they weren't they weren't uh, communicating with people the same way that these. But I, I don't think I would have ever gotten to these poems in my voice without doing those yeah, over and over. Right, you know? right. With like writing what you thought poetry should be. Right. I mean, you kind of, I felt like I had to go through that because I internalized all those forms and all those ideas and the hypercatalexis and the line break and the multiple meanings of a single word. And so that when I started writing without thinking about those things, they were, they were there. Right. Kind of like a ghost writer underneath it yeah that was that was your education was working through all of those forms um yeah and there are also lines i mean i have ghost lines too that hover around me or parts of poems that have not made it yet uh like there's this one line i've been trying to get into a poem for 15 years which is i'm gonna say it maybe it's just will be its own poem a tree farm that goes out of business will become a forest (laughs) <laughs> like, I love that. And I've tried to put it in almost every poem that I write. Yeah. And I never, I can't get it. I've tried to put it in like a sonnet, a triolet, like everything. I've tried to put it into other things that have various like random lines and I can't get it in there. Yeah. And I don't know, like, is that a failure or what is that? That feels like a failed poem to me, but it also, there's something sweet about it. Like I'm keeping like a, a hurt rabbit. <laughs> Like a a baby rabbit that like the cat brings in. Well, there's also something, I mean, isn't it, isn't it wonderful how it can be both a failure and also like a moment of infinite potential at the same time, right? Like someday that poem will be, it will be what defines my It's your Pulitzer poem. It's my Pulitzer right there, (laughs) that tree, that tree farm poem. I mean, it's make it, and also I continually have been, you know, I mean, all these images like that I try to make into poems and they fail and it's hard for me to give those up. And then, but I, you know, sometimes you have to move past them. I mean, same with short stories, like you can imagine starting or a novel and you think that you have a main character and it turns out like 10 years later, you look back and it was a a tertiary character that, but Without that character, you would have never gotten to the main point. Right, you know? right. I mean, it's just such, I was thinking about this on the way over here, that, I mean, f- failure is just a necessary part of the process. I mean, we all know that, but it just, 
And without failure, like nothing would be funny either. <laughs> like animals, it's weird. Like we, like animals fail all the time, and they. <laughs> They're so serious about it. Like yeah. my cat will like fall off the edge of the couch and he's like all ruffled and like, I can't believe that I would possibly ever do that. A, a couch I've been walking on for years, you know, and you're like, but like humans, we can like fail, you know, like I can, I can like fall down the stairs and be like, oh, okay. Or like make a, I'm a notoriously bad cook and I tried to make. Because what I do is I take recipes and then I try to make them healthy. So yeah, I change too yeah. many ingredients. So I was like, I'm going to make meatloaf for my family tonight. But instead of meat, I'm going to use like tofu. Whoa. And in, and I'm going to grind up like spinach and kale so I can hide it in there so my daughter eats it. And I'm going to use like oats instead of... It was... Wow. You made a loaf. It was green. It was a green loaf. <laughs> a green tofu loaf. Yeah. And I mean, it was like a failure. But we can sit, me and my family, and just like crack up about it. Yeah. As I tearfully... I have to eat the whole thing as a punishment. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's my punishment is that I eat it all. Right, right, right. Yeah. But, I mean, like we... And then the failures in writing, too. Like forever, I thought the phrase was in one foul swoop, like a... like. <laughs> <laughs> like a what? swoop of like foul like I birds could, I didn't or, know. <laughs> or stinky two 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 wrong inter- interpretations and i wrote poems with this in it and i'm sure my teachers were like wow this is a really good yeah an innovative use innovative of language use of this, yeah of this phrase yeah. And i thought it was the true phrase and so and i love that finally ben was like you know it's foul swoop you keep saying foul and i was like what, what do you mean? <laughs> i mean there's like yeah I mean, a lot of times, like, the failure in a poem, like, ends up being the success. Yeah, Yeah, I had some story. I'm forgetting what word I mistyped. I was, it was a story about baby astronauts. And they wound up, like, feeling their food instead of eating it. And I was like, oh, that's just staying. Like, they're just going to feel, I mean, they just feel it. Or how, like, children mess up language all the time. Well, and that that's a big part of instead of dying, right? And Calendae? Or not as much in Calendae. Not as much in Calendae. So, because Ellie was not speaking yet when I wrote Calendae. But she started speaking and I was just like, you're screwing all this up, but it is beautiful how you're doing it. Like the other, like she, I didn't get this in the book because she has since copyrighted everything she says (laughs) verbally. She wants a cut. It's a verbal agreement. If you're making the big bucks off of poetry. Poetry bucks. From from these gems I'm giving you. Rolling in it. Yeah. Put it in the trust fund, mother. in the trust fund, mom. (laughs) Yeah. So I can't use any of her words now because, yeah. But back then she didn't know about copyright. Yeah. (laughs) So um, maybe a lawyer could later... Yeah, we could call cons- we will consult our <laughs> podcast lawyers yeah, after yeah, this. Great. Yeah. But she would say stuff like, Oh, let's make a wish on the earth. And I was like, Yes, like that's wrong and you just failed at that yeah. phrase, but it was perfect. So good, you know, we don't that makes me completely rethink one, the phrase, and two, like uh, it's a whole new perspective of the world and that's I I think that's what I'm constantly trying to get with poetry is to fail at the normal way of seeing things yeah totally because when you fail at that you there's a richness you know it's like being born again it's like yeah. being alive like it's a 
a fullness of life. Yeah, poems are a form, a, a an interesting and beautiful form of failure. Yeah, right? of, of normality. Yeah. You know, I mean, and that's why poets are so weird. <laughs> I love poets. They're my favorite. But, you know, I mean, we that's what we're doing is we fail to see the world in a normal way. Yeah, and yeah. we do it over and over. So speaking of Ellie. Yeah. And motherhood. Yeah. And writing and failure. Yeah. I know, right? <laughs> Let's talk about scary failure. So I read in another interview you did that after you had Ellie, you thought, well, maybe I'm just done. Maybe I'm just not oh, yeah, ever yeah. going to write again. Yeah, I believed that. Yeah. I mean, can you talk? Can you tell me about like how how did you emerge out of that and what what was it like being in that because I had a very similar experience and and I think a lot of women writers women women creatives who then become mothers must have this experience of oh my life is over Mm -hmm. my creativity is over yeah I don't even know where it ever came from yeah and I don't know how it could possibly ever come back like yeah what was it like to be in that and then how did you kind of get yourself out of that or 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 slowly I mean that was uh it was sad yeah I mean it was a sad time in general for me I I was you know I had postpartum depression um I didn't know what to do with this little baby you know I (laughs) didn't have very much help around me and um and I thought that my dreams of being a writer and artist were, were pretty much over. I mean, I, I saw it as a, as a binary. Like, yeah. You're a mom, so you're nothing else. Um, I was reading, I kept reading though, and I kept writing. Mm. I don't know why. I mean, I feel like there's a part of all of us that's unconnected to our own will, you know, and our own consciousness. And yeah. something kept me putting down words here and there um but uh so if you were still writing tiny pages yeah you know I I knew I wanted to there were things I needed to write about like the experience of having this baby I felt like I needed to think through it on the page but there's no time so I was writing tiny pages and these notebooks I mean they're covered in some sort of liquid got on them. We'll, ne- we'll never know because at that point in the don't want to say stage, it was breast milk, but who knows? It could have been anything because I would wake up and there'd be just fluid everywhere. <laughs> so, um, but you know, you're in, I was in this sort of panic of trying to get down what was happening and trying to just understand myself what this very animal place that I was yeah. in. Yeah. And, um, but I didn't think anyone would ever see it again. I was writing without an audience at that point. Um, I also just walked around the house feeling anger at other writers who were writing and not with a baby, feeling jealous, Yeah, you know, feeling uh, really like beaten, you know, in in this way. And my my friend, uh, Blueberry Morning Snow, she, oh my gosh, you know, she was very helpful in in pulling me out of that. she is just so full of like energy and life and and creation and she got us doing the artist way have you oh i did that after when after my big i'm not gonna be a writer i have a kid and i did the artist way with some friends right yeah i mean we didn't even make it through because the artist way and 
is uh, it's almost like violent in its the way that it it starts creativity up in you i felt like it was like this attack of creativity that i got from doing that book i also stopped drinking so i was newly sober too wow which was like a brand new you know i hadn't drank at all during the pregnancy with ellie but after she was born i thought oh well let's have and i quickly realized this is not gonna work like there's a problem here i can't be a mother the way i want to be a mother and and have this in my life yeah and so the process of getting sober too especially like i was using the pro the aa program yeah is very much about like honesty like complete and utter honesty humility but also like humor yeah you know? i mean there's a humor and honesty and that was like a saving um mindset for me it was that was like a bomb yeah so honesty became like this bomb and i don't think i was ever truly honest before having a, almost a complete you know breakdown yeah. of the self that i knew and i started talking to people and being like this is hard for me and and bringing in humor into it mm -hmm, like there mm -hmm. are fluids everywhere i don't know <laughs> what kind so in the middle of that like panic a little middle of that tragedy and 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 sort of a that kind of despair of losing my artist self and the this confusion of being a mom i found this jewel you know yeah honesty and i found other writers who were already using it like Anne lamott yep um a couple of other uh poets that were writing about motherhood in in a way that was so honest Ra rachel zucker yes and and uh ariel greenberg and so like i was I found these people that were expressing something that was happening in my life with honesty, but also with humor. Yeah. And that was all failure based because you can't do that without admitting that you're making mistakes. Right. Like there are certain people in charge of a government right now <laughs> that can't get to that place of humor because they can't admit failure no no and without admitting failure you're never gonna be funny i don't <laughs> that's yeah that's you know true I mean? well and also i mean and motherhood is also so much about failure just it is I mean, learning how to fail all you're doing is failing on new and deeper levels yeah yeah and so there i mean there's one way to go about it where you become like this perfectionist right but i mean i don't have that in me like i don't keep, it takes so much energy <laughs> yeah well so so did you I mean I feel like so many things changed for you like getting sober yeah. is such a huge thing and right. I was I was sober for most of my 20s and that's when I really started writing cuz it did like it yeah, cleared it a space yeah it cleared a space but there was also this like great need um that I had and I and yeah. writing became the way to like do what I needed to do. I mean, I consider sobriety as a form of activism at this point and resistance. I mean, be, one, it gives you way more time and a clearer mindset, but you, but it gives you a certain sense of control um, that you don't have when you're drinking. Not the way I was drinking. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, and you're well. You're also checked in. You are. I mean, you attention. can still check out without drinking, but you can't check out in the same way. No. And yeah, you, and so. Being forced to be that checked in all the time changed so many. I think it actually changed the structure of my brain. Yeah, um, yeah. And 
And it helped me when it helped me so much when Ryan died. Yeah. So grieving sober, I've oh. I haven't had to, you know, when I was drinking, I didn't have any of these tragedies. And part of it was I was so worried that tragedy would come into my life. You know, until it does, the idea of it is so terrifying. Yeah. Um, it's actually worse. I mean, the way that you your mind creates the story is worse than the actual I mean, our bodies know how to grieve and our minds know how to grieve. We just have to let them. And and I feel so lucky and blessed that I wasn't drinking when I had to experience that sort of grief. And so Ryan was your brother yes. who, um, and instead of dying, a, a lot of it, I mean, it seems like it's maybe all kind of addressed to him or about yeah. him and working through yeah. um, his un- very untimely death. Um, and I see all of what you're talking about. I see it. And in instead of dying, yeah. I see that you have brought everything you have to bear. Like it's funny. It's incredibly sad. It's, um, it's, it's, it's just doing all the things you've been talking about. It's honest. It's raw. It's playful. It's kind of amazing how it has all of these different modes and elements and they all work because you are you're checked in it's like it yeah I feel like this is the product of you kind of like checking into all of your failures and challenges being there with it being there with it and just being present for it I mean I had really good teachers uh not poetry teachers I mean I had other forms guides you know I had a, a really good grief counselor who worked in mindfulness yeah um Chris Klug here in town and he uh the way he spoke to me about grief was I it was it was like world changing to me that he described I mean he described life as grief and he basically said that we have you know tools built inside ourselves to like be with the grief feel it and then and then notice that it passes hmm. and that's so powerful because because it's not that you have control over it but you you let it you like let it exist and then you change for having done that you know you get better at it I mean, same way that you practice like juggling a soccer ball or the piano you also practice feeling you know what i mean and i had I feel like we're raised in a society where we're where feeling bad feelings is like the worst possible thing that could happen to you when really like those feelings are just like weights that you lift at the gym, yeah. you know, and yeah. you get better and better at having them. And then the better you get at having those intense feelings, the less you are doing, the less you're like in a, a, a state of, of, resistance and fear of what's coming right 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 so before ryan died i was always afraid that something bad would happen to me or my family that something bad would happen to someone i knew um and i lived in this state of sort of anxiety and i think that's why i was drinking a lot i mean i was constantly thinking about death and but it never was like real and then when it became real what i learned was to work with what was really happening you'd mm-hmm. wake up in the morning my stomach would hurt my chest would hurt with this like kind of like dropping sadness 
but I would just like, I would say it out loud to myself. He, what, what he taught me to do was say like, my chest hurts. My stomach feels sick. I feel like I might throw up. My neck is tight. My throat is closing. And I'd say it. This is what's happening now. This is what's happening now. And then it would like pass. And then I'd be like, oh shit. Well, okay. <laughs> so there, you know, there's an yeah. end to it. And I got through it. And so the next time when it start to come up, I'd feel a little bit less fear about it. Right. Instead of that feel like, oh shit. And like reactionary. Yeah, and like, like oh. here it comes again. What can I do to stop it? What yeah. can I do to stop it? Like I stopped trying to stop it and I just felt it. And more and more I got into this routine where I started thinking of them it as opportunities. So I would start to feel a sadness come up and I'd be like, this is an opportunity to practice. Yeah. You know, this is an yeah. opportunity to to be with these emotions and it felt powerful to me because it felt like I was building up like a reserve or like a a, a a muscle to be able to handle life that I hadn't had before yeah which is why I you know would drink so much or uh eat so much or you know I mean do anything to not feel yeah and instead the feelings are were on my side you know, I don't know. How, it's hard for me to explain it. No, you explained it beautifully. Yeah. And and I think it's funny, like hearing you explain that process of like noticing your feelings and saying them out loud, yeah. putting words to them and being like making them concrete. I, it, there seems to be some sort of analog to poetry, right? That right. you you sit down, you notice things, you put words to them, you you make it concrete in a way. Yeah. I don't know. Not, I just I can't help but see that process kind of translating into your poetry. And there's one poem in the book where all through the editing process, the last two lines they surprised me when I wrote them, and they would make me cry. Yeah. They, I think, because they hit on something that I hadn't yet found out about my grief, which was that I had wished that I had been there yeah. when Ryan died, and I wish that I could have held him. So uh, it makes me like tear up now and when I wrote those lines I just I cried every single time and then every time I had to edit a new version of the book when we were going through the process I would cry at that and it got to a point where I I was like this poem's great I'm just gonna skip it you know like <laughs> yeah. it's fine I don't need to check this one again yeah um but now when I read that line like I read it last night and I didn't cry I felt sadness but like it it has changed and it hasn't I haven't gotten numb. I think that my relationship to that realization and to that part of Ryan's loss, I've adapted to it in a way. And I feel like people, when they, lo they lose someone, they don't want to adapt because they feel like they, they'll completely lose the person. Right. Like the pain is a w weird way to be still in contact. Yes, absolutely. And, and writing these poems made me realize that no, pain isn't the only way I can be in contact with him. Like, there's a lot of joy in here. Yeah. And a lot of imag imagining him. And now, you know, five years after his death, like, I'm in contact with him joyfully. And I think it's because I did so much work of allowing myself to practice those feelings. Yeah. And, and move through them. Um, not only, you know not fighting them because I didn't want to feel bad, but also not fighting them because I didn't want to lose them. Yeah. Which I think is like a deeper thing that people... So it's interesting. I, I read yesterday an article where they, they did this study at Yale um, about fear, 
you know, and fear of loss. And a lot of times like our, our anger and our prejudices and they basically said like when people are less feel fearful, they are tend to be more liberal socially. <laughs> yeah. And, but it was interesting to me cause it was so, it seems so true about our culture right now that, um, a lot of be- below a lot of this like anger is just a really deep fear. And I think mm-hmm. it's cause we aren't taught how to, um, struggle and we aren't taught how to mourn yeah and we aren't taught how to feel emotions and yeah i mean in the same way that we should have sex ed class i wish that i had a class in school that said like you're gonna lose people in your life here's how to mourn them properly absolutely and 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 things change and here's how to like mourn the the passing of time and right. like things changing and 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 how to be present and how to right. sit with sit what you're with feeling. feeling and you're gonna get stronger for it yeah here's a way to 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 be braver and more courageous and to gain the strength is to actually go towards these things that seem upsetting you know yeah yeah and it's interesting too when you said that mourning is you know it's part of life that time passes like my my grief counselor would always talk because i would say oh ellie had this breakdown this morning like because i told her she couldn't have candy at 5 30 in the morning like (laughs) she would wake up and be like candy right and i'd be like no (laughs) And she'd have a breakdown and my grief counselor would say, good, good, very good. And I was like, what? And she, and he said, she's, she's mourning it. She's mourning that loss. And I thought, oh my God. And she, and, and he said in that, and she's doing it naturally. She's, she gets angry about it. And then she was sad about it. Yeah. And she cried and she kicked and she, and he was like, that happens daily to us. We lose, we are, the everything, our days are full of loss. And we forget that our bodies and our minds have this way to handle it. As adults, we're just like, well, that's fine that I didn't get, you know, yeah. published. Yeah. That, this rejection letter, it's fine. And you know, maybe I'll just give up. I say that, that's my first in- instinct to say that to my three-year-old is to be like, it's okay, it's okay. And you know what actually makes the situation better is for me to say, that was really disappointing and like i can see you're really angry and i would be angry too and he's like he's like yes yeah thank you for (laughs) yeah for not telling me it's okay because it's not okay at all okay not getting candy at 5 30 a.m is not okay (laughs) i'm gonna say that to all your listeners my last question for you comes from my son so i was reading instead of dying um, he was having a bath and I said, do you, uh, do you want to hear a poem? Aww. And he said, what's a poem? <laughs> yeah. And I said, I don't know. I'm going to ask Lauren that. <laughs> so I read him the poem and he looks at me and he goes, could you please read me a good story? <laughs> it wasn't one of them back yet. Yeah. Well, he didn't, story. he's like, I don't understand what you just said to yeah. me. But so I, which one I, did you read it? Um, I read him the one that I tweeted, the one that oh, yeah. I love you for, for my, my life, life for the day and the night. I love yeah. you for my life. That, yeah. And he's just like, can you please read me a good one, mom? Well, he's like, I've, I've heard this one before. <laughs> I've <laughs> heard the I love you poem before. So, I mean, I think we got it this a little bit before, but to you, what is a poem after you've come this uh, whole way? I think it's, uh, I think a poem has to do with restraint. So um, I think when a short story becomes a poem is when rules are applied to it. Mm. And like, uh, um, 
poetry ex- always has this form. Even even free verse has this strange uh, has a strange form to it. There are rules. It, it it could be like a rule of length. It could be a rule of line breaks. It could be a rule where you're using certain types of words or phrases. Um, and so that I mean I have a really loose definition of it. And a lot of and I I move through the world thinking so much is poetry. You know, I mean, I'll I'll read like a road sign and be like, that's brilliant. That's a poem. I'm going to write that down. Or stuff coming out of my daughter's mouth. Because it because it has some sort of restraint and Yeah, or surprise, like the words or, are surprising. Yeah. I mean, any time that, I mean, our language, there's so much of our language that's used every day and it, it works for basic communication, like pick up that box, put down that box, right? I yeah. Mean, Feed me, clothes. Usually me, works me. for yeah. basic, yeah. Yeah, communication. usually works. But we use it as a as one sort of tool to get things done. And there's this whole other area of language where it's like, let's get magical and weird. You know, I mean, I feel like that's probably why people do drugs. Is to feel <laughs> the same way that I feel when I see something that I consider poetry. Yeah, is like my brain gets all like wild that's why i love poets because i'm like you how were you not high when you wrote this and I, you just and it's just who you are most sober i've ever been I know. in my whole life and yeah like i've had people say to me like well, were you were you doing drugs and i'm like no i was just i was actually doing like the opposite of drugs like i was like <laughs> freaking here in light yeah like, yeah looking around like asking like you know i'll stop and be like what is going on <laughs> I'll be walking down the street and be like, we're on a, a planet, we're on a planet, like in the middle, like there's nothing It's so, yeah, tri- and, like, it's there's a moon. trippy. Yeah, and you're, and you start like tripping out when you actually are paying attention to stuff. Yeah. You know, like even like in my mindfulness classes, they would be like, pay attention to something during the day. And I remember one woman saying like, I took a shower paying attention and like, you can see in the water droplets a reflection of the whole room and everyone in the classroom was like, whoa. <laughs> and it's like, it's all there. It's for us. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like, it's for, it's all here and language does that, you know? Yeah. It can become silly. It can become like crazy and it can twist your mind in a way where you, you know, it hadn't really been before. So that's yeah. what I think of as poetry, so do you have any final words of wisdom for for struggling poets out there who feel like they're failing? Well, I mean, this contest, this prize that I won, the Colorado Prize for Poetry, I'd been submitting to for, I think, either 12 or 14 years. Whoa. So um, that's a long time to yeah. get a rejection letter. And that and it wasn't the only contest I was getting rejection letters from. Yeah. Um, there was one point where I realized that I needed to develop a part of my brain that was like a machine, like a submitting machine and figure out a way to possibly like remove emotion from it, which is not like fully like doable, mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. but I almost made it like a video game. Like I had this like checklist on Trello online and I had these like, things that I'd check off. And I, I really thought of it as like this abstract game that I was doing because yeah. it, that way it didn't carry the weight of each rejection. Right, right. And before I got the phone call about this book being selected, you know, as the winner, the week before I'd gotten four rejections, big ones. Um, when I got like the third one, I was like, what's 
why it, there's some synchronous yeah, here yeah. and i got the fourth one and i was like come on <laughs> you know how like your car won't start then you lose yeah the and you the rejections always rejections and acceptances come in batches they do. so weird so and that was like yeah i mean that that it was a strange correlation so i mean my suggestions keep going and try to figure out a way to separate your writer self that raw mm. person that honest deeply feeling person from your like agent self or your publicist <laughs> right self, right right um it's hard to do so figure out a system you know so that you can you can do both at the same time especially poets because that's what i mean we are writer agent publicist all rolled yeah. in one yeah but, and it's and it's hard for us to compartmentalize those things compartmentalize and keep you trying. can do it keep going keep go- keep writing keep writing okay lauren thank you so much all right thank i you could talk with you for another five hours but we'll we'll cut it here and we'll keep talking okay thanks thanks for listening and please subscribe to us on itunes or soundcloud we have more great episodes coming up this episode was edited and produced by yours truly with production support by andrea wilson and mark palanzak as ever the fail safe is a joint effort of draft the journal of process and the iowa writers house with special thanks to the iowa arts council I'm Rachel Yoder. Thanks for listening.